Real News. Honest and fun political talk weekly on the line 90.7 FM. Right now we are joined with the one and only Sticks Hexenhammer 666. Uh, if you don't know who he is, well, he will introduce himself right now. Hey Sticks, how's it going? Hi, I'm going pretty well. So could you just tell our audience a quick sort of rundown of who you are and what you do? Yep, I'm a YouTuber, editor, and author from the state of Vermont. I've been a listener of your channel for quite a while, followed you on YouTube, following your updates on stuff. I always thought you had the best predictions on elections and just politics in general. Um, have you guys been listeners of Sticks? Yeah, I have. I've always been uh, listening to a lot of his uh, commentary. Um, just one recently, I was listening to him uh, talking about uh, Varg. I, I'm a bit of a metalhead, so I kind of know what goes on in the black metal scene. So when he was talking about it, I got pretty, I was uh, pretty excited. <laughs> there you go, got one metal fan here. <laughs> um, so uh, do you have any um, input I, I, on that? I've I've been listening to him for a long time too. Uh, I've always always found his insight to be probably some of the best insight on YouTube. A lot of a lot of a lot of the stuff that you hear hear on YouTube is very biased, very I don't know, like one sided. And he he um, sticks appears very. It, it, the insight is really really good. Um, yeah, I, I I totally agree. Um, so the reason we, uh, cause Phil actually is the one here that asked to have him on, which I was gracious to have him one reach out and then sticks come on. But the main thing we want to talk about now is the Vox adpocalypse, which has been sweeping the interwebs this past week. Cause Vox, if you don't know, has this guy, Carlos Maza and Steven Crowder kind of makes fun of him in videos. And now he's gotten so triggered by it that he's actually trying to ban Crowder just from the platform completely and maybe even the whole entire internet. Uh, and this has resulted in YouTube now demonetizing his channel. And we know that Styx here is a popular YouTuber. He has, I think, over at least 350,000 subs. And yeah, about, about 370,000. Yeah, there you go. You're almost at 400,000. And you've been very successful. I w I'm just going to ask real quickly, one, what is the... Um, what do you think is the real main intent of Vox here? Are they trying to remove all conservatives, any dissidents, or are they just trying to go after Crowder himself? What, what's the real end goal here? The end goal is that Vox doesn't want to compete with any YouTubers. It wants to be a YouTuber. And so by trying to get YouTube and similar gro uh, groups to deplatform people like Crowder or myself or you know any of a million other people, they can make more money. Uh, it's worth noting as well, Tim Pool actually uploaded a video less than an hour ago on this subject, which is quite good as well. Yeah, I'm a follower of Tim Pool as well. I always think his uh, news video is always a great, fair, just run down the news and with a fair opinion as well, too. I'm, I really like his work, yeah. too. Uh, but do you th has Vox actually tried to target you in any way? No, I get defamed by BuzzFeed. Oh. I guess I'm not big enough for Vox yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll probably come after you soon, I bet. Oh, probably. Uh, what do you think is the next move for Crowder? I think that he should ignore Vox entirely and just satirize him and keep doing exactly what he's doing. But he needs to branch out into all tech. I know he's got a BitChute channel, actually. Um, he hasn't talked about too much. I'm not sure if he's on Mines or Gab. Yeah, I don't think he's on Mind or Gab, but he's definitely on some of the um, other alternatives like BitChute. I know you're really big on BitChute, too. What do you uh, think about BitChute? 
Well, I just hit 44,000 subs on there. I'm the biggest user of I obviously like the wow. platform. But the thing is, the, the best thing about BitChute is I can communicate actually with the people that are, you know, sort of running it, sort of organizing things, and therefore I can have some trust that it's not just like a sham like some sites have done. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've heard many of these sort of conservative types, they'll be calling, they're, you know, not just the people that are banned, but some of the people still on, they'll either be calling for regulation or moving yeah. to these alt tech platforms. Obviously, you've, you know, you know, not kept all your eggs in one basket, which is really smart, because if you're taking out YouTube, you're still on BitChute. But do you see the future being everybody that's, you know, interesting, free speech, provocative, fun, or even just to the right of Stalin is going to be on these alternatives, or are they going to have to regulate big tech? Well, it's like um, earlier, and this is going to be a video for tomorrow, teaser for people if they're subscribers. Um, Caleb Kane just came out and did a sort of a thing with the, the New York Times talking about how he was led down the alt-right rabbit hole and talking about like James DeFrancis and Paul Joseph Watson of all I saw that. on this list. Yeah. Um, but like the thing is, this is straight out of the satanic panic sort of mentality. If you look back at some of the stuff that was made then, people would blame the devil for their bad deeds. And he apparently, he feels guilty about his life, so he wants to blame my YouTubers. And it's the same thing, and in a few years, this will be passe. And a lot of the people that right now are joining with BuzzFeed, Vox, and so forth, and they're talking about how bad people like we are, mm -hmm. uh, they'll, they'll, they'll go back years later and they'll say, well, no, we never believed those sorts of things. We always knew that it was superstitious nonsense, that it was led for political reasons, and corporations were trying to make money, and they'll, they'll have a cop-out. Uh, but until then, we have to deal with their nonsense, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of see it the same way. Um, I have a big fan who can't get on right now, unfortunately, because the Discord isn't working on here. But he's wondering if BitChute will actually overtake YouTube at this current rate. Do you think that's uh, foreseeable in the future? It's possible. I have no way of knowing. Uh, YouTube, it never uh, thought, you know, years and years ago, I never thought it would be as big as it is. Yeah. It's the same as Facebook or any of these other sites. Do you think YouTube will actually fix this demonetization feature? Because I know it's just, it's going like so ridiculous where people yeah. with math videos are getting demonetized. A channel with just nature videos and, you know, just recording the sounds of nature is getting demonetized. Yeah. E Eli, the computer guy. Yes. Got, uh, he, he, he got his live stream turned off for some content content thing he's been doing that for like 20 years yeah. has like a million followers yeah like they just like and it and and the thing is, it all happened on the same day it's like it's so ridiculous what do you think of that sticks yeah it's ridiculous but the thing is i never monetized to begin with so i'm a little bit out of the loop when it comes to those things because I never used AdSense. I always thought that crowdfunding was better because I always used ad blocking software. So I figured I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. Do you guys have any other questions you'd like to ask? Mm -mm, no, I don't. <laughs> oh, well, you, Phil? Well, I, I just want to, like, like, like with BitChute, because you are the guy, essentially. Right, like for the for the, for the time being, I guess. I, I I don't know where BitChute ends up. Where do you, where um what makes it so attractive versus like some of the other alternatives 
with with BitChute, are you asking me? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you're you're the guy. Yeah, so you're the I, king yeah. of BitChute. Well, it's easier to use. Like I've used DTube and some things before, but they're harder to use than BitChute is. It's more like YouTube, number one. Mm. It's like YouTube before YouTube became more refined post-Google. Like YouTube uh, was only in like 480 and had lower audio quality buffering problems. And it's also P2P. The thing is, if it's peer-to-peer, it costs less for them to host things, which means that things can be a little bit more streamlined. Uh, in the future, depending on what they do, and I do know there are some developments with issue that I won't go into, I think that they can run a profit and not have a whole problem with storing you know, data or anything. Mm-hmm. Which YouTube has had continuous problems. They're losing money right now. Yeah, YouTube is honestly, even though it's such a big platform, it you know when you get that big, you're running into problems that you know, smaller alternatives like BitChute aren't going to have, which is like, as you described, a great positive. Uh, But another interesting angle I've seen to this uh, was from actually from Milo Yiannopoulos' Telegram channel as someone who has been literally just wiped off the internet. Uh, He's now, and a bunch of other people are on Telegram creating these channels. And one idea he was pushing, I mean, he, he seems definitely to have a little bit of uh, personal problems with Steven Crowder, but he, on a more, uh, I guess you could say philosophical or stri- strategical uh, standpoint, he was pushing for Crowder to be banned because he thinks it will take these main, you know, bigger conservatives like Steven Crowder, who has, I think, almost 4 million subscribers now, to be banned for actual mainstream conservatives to actually start caring about this. Do you think that's a good strategy? Is that going to be dangerous, or is that what it's going to take? Wait, Milo said that? Yeah, Milo said that. I would totally disagree. Look, InfoWars got banned and the world barely battered an eye. The only problem, the only thing we can do at this point, number one, we can innovate. That mm-hmm. is all tech. Number two, creators can stand together, shout one another out, buff themselves up, and we become more powerful, which makes it harder to deplatform us. It makes it more conspicuous when we're gone. It makes it more painful for the establishment. And number three... We can use the political process maybe to try to help the situation, but ultimately, like, there was an article a few days ago where, um, what was it, Slate, I think, was saying, oh, we need to return to the golden age of broadcast regulation, regulate the internet. And it's like, well, then I can't can't say poop, you know, on YouTube without getting (laughs) censored or something. No thanks. But I think the other thing is we can simply wait if we... uh, Defend things the way that we have been, roughly. Keep creating content. Keep speaking out. Don't be afraid. Eventually, the paradigm shifts over. The censorship goes away because it falls out of fashion, which it always has in the past. Mm. I'm, uh, you know, as you probably are guessing, we're a more conservative-leaning uh, individuals here on this radio show. But I'm, you know, the biggest supporter of free speech ever me. I personally feel that we're going to need regulation on this because I don't think it's going to stop with just these right-wing people. I think you're going to start seeing some moderate left-wing people like Dave Rubin, Joe... I mean, I don't even know if called Joe Rogan left-wing, but more censor people are going to start getting kicked off, and they're going to get really mad, and they oh, will start pushing for it. It's, it's already happened. Oh, yeah, we're seeing a journalist. I forget his name, but I was trying to get him on... Or you and I were both trying to get him on the show today, uh, Phil and I, and he couldn't... Uh, you know, uh, I think his videos were demonetized and he's just a regular journalist. Like, like, where is this going to stop? Is it going to just stop as everybody moves to an alternative? I mean, it's, there's no end in sight at this point. 
Well, they've been doing that on Facebook for months now. Cop Block and a bunch of other groups got kicked off. They were run by a bunch of liberals from yesteryear that were like Obama fans and stuff. I can remember that from the Zeitgeist era. Mm. Well, I think that's almost like there was this one account that was uh, they removed because they thought it was a Russian bot or a <laughs> Russian source. And it was like a Black Lives Matter supporter or something. So... I, you know, with sites this big, how can they even regulate all yeah. these people? Because there's just so yeah. much content. For for all of your listeners out there, let me ask them a rhetorical question. If Facebook says that some group is run by Russians or by Russian bots, how is it that the little people are supposed to know that that's not a, a full of crap claim? Yeah. They can't. Yeah, exactly. You really can't answer that question unless you know as you're seeing now also this is maybe going a little on a tangent you're having mainstream outlets like the daily beast and cnn doxing people that make memes you know are they going to start oh, doing yeah. that to other people what do you think of that do you think that's going to become a bigger issue well doxing has always been kind of a big issue that's why i put my real address out there like a decade ago so that nobody could dox me yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to get around it. Uh, have you ever heard of the uh, site Stream.me by chance? No, I haven't. Well, there was like some random drop-offs from it um, of some big names, but you know, sites like that were becoming a alternative for people like uh, Andy Worski, who was I think demonetized and banned from YouTube, to be on another alternative, but. Well, let's say the domain of stream.me gets pulled. Let's say these domains get pulled. Let's see, you know, like PayPal now, you can't donate to people. Is yeah. is it going to, like, how, how are we going to, you know, prevent, you know, just conservatives from, you know, not getting banned, you know, from using their credit cards or other things like their bank accounts? Is Because I, I don't, to be honest, know all the laws in place. I'm still a little young, not quite into the real world yet. But do you see of some big problem happening there? The fact that uh, banks are kicking people off of their accounts and stuff like that for political views is disgraceful, and Chase especially should be disgr should be disgraced and boycotted by everyone. Mm. Uh, people should look into local like credit unions, number one, but also use Subscribestar for crowdfunding, and PayPal is totally vestigial anyway. You don't need it. Yeah. Like, uh, like eBay has taken steps now to do – there are certain vendors that won't even let you use PayPal now. They'll only take card. Well, I think Milo, for example, has been, I know he's been banned yeah. from uh, Patreon, banned from Subscribe to Star 2, I think, and I think PayPal. I, I Milo to, was banned from Subscribe Star? I think so. I, I could be totally wrong on that, but. I'll, I'll have to, I'll, I'll look into that myself. Yeah, I'll, we'll definitely need to fact check it, but, you know, he's, I, I, the point still will stand is that he's been consistently removed from, you know, every new platform he tries to go on. And, you know, sometimes it's going to, or at some point it's going to hit a point where there's going to be no platform except some little one. It, you know, it makes you wonder that crypto might actually be the future for this. Well, crypto is pretty great. I hold Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very glad that I did not sell it off a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I know everybody was selling off because they thought, oh, they're going to make a lot of money now. But to be honest, it's probably the safest currency yeah. out there. <laughs> there. There's, there's a bear trap going on right now. I'm convinced. So I'm holding it. Yeah. Um, who do you think, though, is the ultimate gatekeepers in terms of these domains and payment processes? This is uh, other, other big fans wants us to ask you this. It's There is no single gatekeeper. The thing is they formed like a trust. It's not a monopoly. 
A monopoly would be like Google runs the whole Internet. Mm-hmm. With a trust, it's more like Google, Apple, Facebook, and a bunch of other groups do, and they simply coordinate loosely with each other with the same goals in mind. It's like when people get kicked off these platforms, it's all about money. A lot of people think it's more about politics, mm. but I've seen people on the left get you know, screwed over too, like, again, Cop Block and similar groups. Yeah, there have been there have been people who are self-proclaimed liberals that have been banned. The next thing they'll come for is the far left. Ironically, they're going to go for the progressives and then people on the right that have already been to platform will cheer mm-hmm. and they'll say, well, I guess that this tech censorship isn't that bad. Ha ha. They've seen the light and they're going to be celebrating their own demise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I think it was on it was on Bill Maher's show. I forget who they were talking about. That oh yeah, it was Alex Jones, and Alex Jones got banned from literally the internet. Uh, he Bill Maher mentioned it, and his audience cheered, and he's like, no, 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 we need free speech. We need these people out there. Even though I, Bill Maher, think Alex Jones is a crazy loon, we need these ideas out there. And I, Bill Maher is an interesting dude. Yeah, he's very interesting. I mean, I disagree with on most of his politics, but on religion and a few other yeah. things I'll agree with him on, but I have to give him credit where credit's due. He is principled on free speech. Mostly. Mostly. Except he's yeah. praying for a recession. That's true. That's true. I forgot about that. You know, <laughs> and that's the depressing thing. Is like you even find these guys like him where you're like, oh, maybe they're not so bad as, you know, like the right-wing media will spin them to be, and then you see stuff like that, and it's like, why? Come on. It's, it's sad. Bill Maher is, is the sane one. Yeah. That should scare us. Yeah. 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 Well, the left keeps moving further left, and that's why, you know, it's become hard to find anyone in the center anymore, except maybe your neighbor that's a, you know, average lefty. Um, but I think that's all I basically want to ask. You want to ask anything else, Phil? I know you always have something to say. Well, no, I, I um, like with youtube is like really obviously youtube's like really huge i was looking i was looking up a statistic they they upload 500 hours of content per 500,000 hours every day every day yeah like that's nuts and i'm like how 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 can youtube uh regulate how can youtube regulate anything with that much traffic going on like there's not enough of people, there's yeah. not enough of algorithms, there's not enough to accurately pull something like that off. Like how do you, how do you go, uh, like, so so I, I do they do the lazy thing? Do they just run the algorithms? And then if there's an issue, then they have people trying to, cause that's scary too. Cause you got like, look, they're out in central California, Bay Area, California, that's nuts. <laughs> Can I put a little bit of a somewhat conspiracy theory out here? Sure, we love conspiracies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. YouTube is waiting to declare itself a publisher or a platform until its AI is good enough that it can be a publisher and not worry about the legal repercussions because it'll be able to filter out 99.9% of everything without a human. Honestly, that's possible. Because they're, they're, they're saving yeah. off Congress as long as they can. They're willing to pump billions of dollars into it if necessary. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they'll declare themselves a publisher, and it'll become the new on-demand. Well, do you, are you afraid of your channel actually being removed or banned from YouTube anywhere near the future? No, no, because if my channel is removed, I would just make another one for using YouTube as a jukebox, and I would use BitChute. So. Mm. 
Uh, this I'm just gonna read this off. Um, this will probably be our last question we have time for. Uh, our friend, big fan, and usual co-host is asking, uh, what are your thoughts on how once something is gone from YouTube, it's many times gone forever? Like the history professors who got classrooms info pulled from YouTube. Oh, is this a question for me? Yes. I would say archive as much of the good YouTube stuff as you can that you enjoy because I've actually experienced that myself and not because of censorship, but just because of people that I was subscribed to that would like yank their channels randomly. Mm -hmm. They take videos down randomly and I'll never be able to see that content again. So I've started archiving as much as possible. You can use like YouTube MP3 for audio. Um, downloading video is easy like the MP4. Yeah. Yeah. I, not, I, uh, by the way, disclaimer, not, not telling anyone to do that for anything that's copyrighted. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Saved us. Um, I, because I know that uh, I think today that Gavin McGinnis just backed up his entire YouTube channel because he's worried he's going to get pulled, which is probably likely, to, you know, considering his association with the Proud Boys and how much big tech hates the Proud Boys. But I wanted to emphasize, though, one last thing uh, is that, like you said, and it's very important for people to realize, is while some of these bands may be political, maybe, it's mostly because of money. It's mostly because yeah. they want to appease the advertisers. Because if you have anything risky, advertisers aren't going to like that. They're not going to advertise on your platform and you lose money. YouTube's a business, so money's the end goal. Um, but I'll leave you with um, one last final thought of anything you want to say. And tell us where we can find you and all that other good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on tarlwarwick.net, easiest, and it has links to everything else, uh, or on my YouTube channel, Stick Sex and Hammer 666, but if you just Google that, it'll be fine. What I would encourage people to do is just speak out against censorship at all costs. Don't be afraid, because it will mm. pass by just like every other moral panic has. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better. And yes, uh, like he said, his website is tarwarwick.net. Uh, I've been he's got his books on there, his videos. You can support him on Patreon, Subscribestar. He's got his BitChute channel, Daily Motion YouTube. I think he even got a blog on there and whatnot. Some oh nice uh, merch. Yeah, two blogs. Oh, two blogs, yes. <laughs> and I'm was, fancy now. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone that has two blogs knows that they've gone gotten somewhere. Um, but I, I love all your work. I love your content and I just hope you keep doing what you're doing. And I'm glad you came on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Just hit me up. Sure. Thank you very much, Dex. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. There we go. Wow, that was great. That was great. That was probably our highest mm -hmm. profile guest ever. Probably. That probably was. Probably. That was. That was great. Probably. Uh, that's great. I, I, I mean, but but he brings up a lot of good points too. Like mm -hmm. this this Vox. This Vox Adpocalypse mess is nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. Nuts. And I'm glad we got an actual YouTuber, like a bigger YouTuber, not just us with our 31 subscribers, <laughs> to actually have a you know uh, a valuable opinion on this. Hey, you know. those 31 subscribers are are wonderful people. They, they are. They're very fine <laughs> very, people. They're, they're very fine people. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. So. Uh, thanks to Dictator Phil. Again, I have to give so much thanks to Dictator Phil today for reaching out to these people. He reached out to Mr. Sam Whitfield. Uh, Sam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on air. No problem. And, uh, yeah, I'm Sam Whitfield. I'm the host of an internet podcast 
slash live stream show called The Whitfield Report. And uh, I've been doing podcasting for about uh, 10 years now. Uh, I'm 24, but I started when I was 14. So uh, I've been doing podcasting and politics for a while. But uh, I recently started a YouTube channel about like a year ago for the show. And uh, the ad talk book thing, uh, it hasn't affected me yet, but I certainly am worried that it's going to start affecting uh, star content channels. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to check out more of Sam's stuff uh, before we get into the discussion here, you can go to thesamwhitfield.com and I'll link it to his podcast and uh, his YouTube channel, all kinds of other cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I would like to say too that I've, you know, I'm pretty young right now. I started sort of podcasting radio at a young age too. So I know what it feels like to be at that level right now where you're starting things up, getting to, in the groove of things and trying to push your stuff out. So uh, it's definitely a fun experience and I love doing it. And Dictator Phil here, you were in the same class as this guy, Were, right? were you, hey, I got to ask a question. Real quick. <laughs> were you in, were you in SOS 119? No, no. So I'm. So I'm actually not even in in uh, Pennsylvania. I uh, I used to podcast with one of your uh, associates, Jeff Hamill. Okay. Um, who used to be on my podcast network. So uh, I live all the way out in Florida. So. Okay. Yeah, because because I remember because we we kind of we kind of synced up. Well, yeah. when, I, when I took when I took SOS one nineteen. We we kind of synced up through because they have the, this like a really big class and you have yeah. like a Twitter feed mm-hmm. and like we were the, like some of the conservatives like really kind because they were few and far between really yeah. kind of like rallied together. Um, what what kind of um, if some of the uh, just in case for some of these listeners, what what kind of um, what kind of stuff do you talk about on your podcast? So, interestingly enough, I uh, actually talk a lot about uh, how technology is affecting politics and kind of new media. Uh, Andrew Breitbart, who was mm. the founder of uh, Breitbart.com, mm-hmm. uh-huh. he has since uh, passed, but he was a huge influence on me getting into kind of the new media uh, movement and uh, really starting my own shows. I mean, I've been following this type of stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I would say that kind of the golden age of sort of media, which was from 2009 to 2011, has uh, really kind of passed uh, by. I mean, we're kind of now in the dark ages with the uh, box, you know, that, that whole thing, whatever they're calling it. Mm-hmm. You know, the Vox adpocalypse is the hashtag yeah. being thrown around. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Andrew Breitbart, too. He was a little bit before my time. Uh, I would say probably my biggest influence. It's going to sound cliche, but it is Trump. But uh, I've been looking recently, a, a few months ago, I was looking at a lot of Andrew Breitbart videos. And that guy was my I man. If he was alive right now, he'd be giddy and happy seeing the right wing culture war uh, against the left just. Uh, you know, just blowing up to another level and the right actually fighting back with people like Milo, with people like Crowder, all these other cultural figures. So I'm a big fan as well because he un- he really understood it. You know, his famous quote, politics is downstream from culture, is 
It's what every conservative should be saying to themselves every single day when they're trying to fight uh, the good fight we're in. He is just an absolute amazing, amazing man. Yeah, he he understood the culture war uh, better than anyone else. I've actually gotten the chance to uh, work with some of the people who uh, he used to work with uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually got to interview Ben Shapiro on my podcast like, oh, nice. six years ago before Ben Shapiro became Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah. Are you not a fan of him now? Um, I mean, I look, I'll always use Ben Shapiro because he was kind of the one who gave me my first, like, you know, big break. I kind of made my bones with him. But, I mean, I, I still like Shapiro kind of personally. I disagreed with him, you know, going over top, but... Uh, I was listening to your segment on, you know, with Sticks, mm-hmm. and the one thing that I have to say is, Sticks is absolutely right that they're not going to stop at just Crowder. They're going, they're going to go after like they're going to go after Shakira next. Yeah. Um, they're go- they're even going to go after the some of the more liberal voices like Dave Rubin. Um, you know, this this doesn't stop at just right. I tend to agree on that, and that's where I think Sticks and I may have had our, probably our biggest um, difference is that I think that we are going to need some government regulation. I don't think the alternatives will ever get big enough. I forgot to ask him, and I should have, about the idea of the network effect, which is once everybody's on one platform and all their friends are on that platform, it's hard for them to move to another platform. Um, what do you think of that? Do you think that's the case, is that people just you know, all their friends are on Facebook, all their friends are on Twitter, so they're not going to move to any of these alternatives because only, like, conservative people are on there. There's nobody else, really. Well, so, I've actually talked about this part of my show a little bit, and here's the problem with, like, a lot of these uh, alt-platforms, and I'll use Gab as a specific example. So, Gab, well, um, you know, well, a good idea... The problem with Gab is Gab is overrun by hardcore alt-right people who mm-hmm. really say some, uh, you know, detestable stuff, and that's the right to do so. But when, you're, when your platform is overrun by, like, alt-right people mm-hmm. uh, who are hardcore, it's going to get hard for, like, more, uh, you know, I don't even want to say moderate, but, you know, just more traditional conservatives to migrate to these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the other thing, and this is why the uh, Vox ad apocalypse is so bad, is the name of the game is to grow your, uh, you know, podcast or your YouTube channel or whatever it is. And so... What is the main platform that people go to watch video content when they want to discover something new? It's YouTube or it's right. iTunes or it's one of like your average Joe 
Right. And, you know, and even if they do, you know, there's, I mean, it just, people have to stop, uh, you know, thinking that the alternative platform, that that's the only, that that's the only solution because it may solve a problem for people's existing audience, but in terms of growing one's audience, mm-hmm. it's not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. So. I've noticed kind of that too, that, like when trying to grow our audience here, if I, I, I advertise as much as possible everywhere as possible. Um, you know, I'll advertise on Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Minds, Reddit, YouTube, wherever I can. Sure. But I will, I, I did, I just realized it did today. I forgot about Gab and Minds because I advertised this show for three guests on. I totally forgot to advertise on Gab. Even somebody like me that knows it exists forgets about it. So it's like right. that, you know, it's just going to be sort of like on the shelf and you're going to forget it's there. It's like that book that, you know, you have and you just sort of forget it's even in your bookshelf. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and I mean, let's be honest too. The other thing is these platforms are still relatively new. They're still being developed. Uh, Dab actually used to have a TV feature that they thought was going to be the big competition to YouTube, and they had to shut that down. Yeah. Because it wasn't stable. So, like or not, like YouTube's system in terms of distributing video is pretty uh, top shelf. Mm-hmm. And no one's really going to compete with them. I mean, I know that there's Vimeo, but you have to pay to use Vimeo. And so. Um, you know, honestly, like, my proposal is just that um, Congress do what they did with the telecommunications companies back in the 1900s, which is to just break up the monopolies. Mm-hmm. I would argue that it's even more important today. Uh, do you think at some point, though, that with uh, the Internet sort of... Being this, so it literally is the World Wide Web. Do you think we'll have to split off from Europe and have our own rules, or Europe will have to split off? Like, could you see anything possible with that? Because we're seeing the EU kind of regulate things differently. Like, would there be a major split in some way in the future? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think regulation is coming regardless. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys watched Cool at all. He's pretty centrist, but that is one thing I agree with him on: is regulation is going to come. Uh, you know, sooner rather than than later. And I think because of the differences there, we are going to see from the EU. Now, I think, you know, just like here, you will be able to see, you know, European content still. I don't think that's going to go away, but the regulations in terms of distributing the content will be different. Mm-hmm. Do you have a question you want to ask, Dictator Phil? So you're kind of getting ready. Well, no, I, I well, I mean, I, I think uh, with with YouTube, uh, and I was I was talking a little bit about this with Sticks too. Um, the pro, do you, what do you think ultimately the problem is? Is it like do you think it's a a direct bias, or is it just mm, a mm. or is it just a um, it's so big there's no way we can there's no way we can accurately regulate something that we're even trying to do much. Uh, You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I think the big problem is a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, YouTube is run by 
Google and the CEOs that are available. So I, I, I think there definitely is a bias problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that the system is just, it's, I mean, I do think that the system is gargantuan. I, I don't think there would be as much of a problem if they were just, you know, nothing so selective about who they decide to ban. I mean, I, I think, I think people are using, you know, the fact that it's gargantuan as kind of an excuse to kind of mass ban people. But, I mean, at the same time, I, I think it would be manageable if we had like a, more concerns on board at Google. Or more seven people. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm worried about, you know, Steven Crowder's obviously not going to be the beginning or the end of any of this demonetization or channel removals. Milo wasn't the beginning or the end. It's 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 been going on for a long time. Milo's probably the big one the first fall. And we just keep seeing more and more and more dominoes fall. Uh, well, and, and if I might bring up this point. Sure. Um, Steven Crowder and Milo, you know, those are big names. Yes. And they're, and they're having to fight like hell, you know, to, to resist uh, Google and YouTube and whatnot. But what about a channel like mine? I'm almost, I'm almost, I'm almost at 500 subscribers. Yeah. What about a channel that has only like a couple hundred subscribers or only has a couple thousand subscribers? Yeah. They don't, like, I don't have the infrastructure to fight Google mm-hmm. or, you know, YouTube or iTunes. So if I get shut down, and if I go to one of these alternative platforms, you know, I'm, I'm more or less done. And well, that's yeah. a real concern. Oh, and that just made me think of something I never even considered, which is that imagine if you're... Uh, let's say it's the year is, uh, it's the current year 2019 and you're a young Milo Yiannopoulos. You haven't been a big star yet. You are now just a little, um, uh, you know, up and coming journalist trying to make it big. He's not big as he is today. Imagine if he was trying to create his YouTube channel now, which is at almost a million subscribers currently. But imagine if he was at, you know, our level of, in our case, 31 subs, you know, your case, 500. Imagine he's at this lower level and YouTube bans him now. We may not even know of him as the big um, culture star that he is now. That's the other thing people forget is that YouTube can be silencing a lot of potential new influencers just right now. We don't even realize it. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's actually an argument that I made to, to someone uh, yesterday, actually, because they were saying, oh, you're a smaller YouTuber. You don't have to worry about that. And, like, yeah, I might not have to worry about that right now, but eventually, once YouTube starts to cannibalize the, the, um, the bigger channels, they're going to start going after the smaller channels. Um, yeah. And, I mean, they already have in some instances. Uh, one, of, one of the channels I follow on YouTube, uh, Revenge of the Sith, they only have, like, uh, 3,000 subscribers, I, I think. Um, maybe a little more, but they're they're a smaller channel, and they just lost monetization uh, as well this week. So yeah, yeah, it's it's really ever since YouTube started changing their rules, where things just anything remotely controversial, edgy, provocative, fun, interesting is now 
not advertiser friendly. You can't even do anything that's like this show even that's just pushing a little bit of boundaries. Like we can't even curse on this show because we're on the radio. But, you know. We're we're not at the you know monetization level yet. We might be sooner than we think. I don't know. But when we try to apply for it, YouTube might just shut us down because oh you're, you know we see little right wing stuff. That's going to be a little advertiser unfriendly. Our advertisers aren't going to like that. So it's very possible that just you know all these younger channels, these smaller channels, just going to get shut down so easily. And I'm glad you bring that up because people forget about the little guy and all this. One thing that you made me think of too. Um with controversial content, the other big problem that YouTube has is that their their languaging is not clear what they mean by like, mm -hmm. controversial or, or borderline content. So let's just say I'm not doing politics. Let's say I'm doing the, like a history type channel. Mm -hmm. If I show like a video of World War II or the Holocaust, is that going to get flagged because, you know, it's violent or stuff? Or something, you know, it's like historical. That's that whole going down. Where like, even history is going to start, you know, getting new platforms because it's, un, you know, comfortable or it's risque or something. I mean, that's that whole YouTube is opening up. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dictator Phil here again. The, um, so how do you... I, I, if you were to play, uh, if you were to play Miss Cleo and like predict the future, mm -hmm. what would you, what could you, what would you see happening? Like, mm. I know that's hard. I know that's a hard question to ask, but we always try to ask it because it's like, you know, you you want to be ready for, you know, the future or you try to guess. It, but I, I know it's hard, but it's like, what do you well, think? This could go either one of two ways. If Washington wakes up and actually like does something up this century and starts probing YouTube a lot more and actually says we need to do something other than you know, just holding a panel, then a lot of panels might get res get restored and this whole modernization thing might um, you know, not be a problem. Uh, but if but if nothing continues to happen, uh, then eventually, uh, only channels that have YouTube express uh, permission to, you know, be alive or be on air will uh, get to exist. So. It could probably go either way. Mm. But it could. I mean, we really. There's really no middle ground, I don't think. We've kind of lost the middle ground now. This is going to either end good for us or bad for us as an independent content creator. Last quick question I'll ask, then we're going to have to go to another quick sort of break. Do you think that YouTube will start losing money due to mass demonetization or will they have to hire hate speech moderators to sort of deal with all these massive flaggings that? You know, campaigns that Vox are starting or trying to do. Do you well, do you see any of that happening? Well, they're not going to lose money initially, mm. but if they keep on doing what they're doing, maybe three to five years, it could be sooner though. As more and more people start to leave the platform, they have, 
they eventually will lose money. I mean, then maybe someone else will make mm-hmm. something else. I mean, MySpace, people thought that MySpace was the biggest thing ever back in 2005, and then they started screwing out, and, you know, Facebook came along and took them out because of their own stupidity. Um, so... I think eventually they will lose money, but it'll be it'll take a while until we see that effect. Yeah, I think it will take a bit could of you, a while. Could you imagine being a being a hate speech monitor at Google? <laughs> Worst job in the to, world. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like you'd be going to speed dating, and you're trying to explain to like twenty different chicks what what uh what you do oh so what do you do for a living oh i'm a hate speech monitor at oh. google whatever luther <laughs> swipe left yeah. yeah that'd be depressing uh thank you for coming on sam where, where can people again check out your work so people can follow me on twitter at sam w underscore ndc that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me uh my website is the com and uh my YouTube channel for right now, while it's still on there. Yeah, while well, it's still there. YouTube.com forward slash The Woodfield Report. So, uh, and my show airs Saturday night at 10 p.m. So if you're still up tonight, tune in and uh, we'll be talking awesome. yeah. about this very thing. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah, we'll try and tune in unless, you know, Vox pulls your show. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll tune in. We'll try. Thank you for coming on again, sir. I really, really appreciate it. We'll probably, you know, um, uh, see if we can talk to you or other people that we just, like, sticks out and see if we guys have you guys on again. And maybe we'll go on your shows if you want, but we love it. We yeah, love I, all this stuff. Yeah, I'd be happy to have you guys on. Just hit me up if either you are free on a Saturday or on a Thursday, and um, we can connect and maybe do something. Awesome. Sounds good. I love it, love it, love it. Have a good one. Yeah, have a good one. You do. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now we're going to continue our conversation on the massive Vox ad apocalypse and the YouTube censorship, the overall big tech censorship on the internet with our next uh, and final guest, uh, Trent Lowen... Uh, wait, hold on a second. Trent Lapinski. I keep thinking it's Lowinski for some reason. but go. Yeah, Trent Lapinski. <laughs> um so Trent, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and give us just a rundown of who you are, what you do, and where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm Trent Lipinski, and uh, I'm an executive from the tech industry. Uh, I've worked for a number of different startups. I'm a former tech CEO. I ran my own startup I sold about four years ago. Um, and yeah, I currently consult in the tech industry. I'm in San Francisco right now. And uh, I've been in this space for a while, so you can find me at Lipinski on Medium, on Twitter. Uh, I just started a new podcast called techpost.io. Uh, nice. And uh, you can find me there. And on TrentLipinski.com. <laughs> yes, that as well. Yes, I just want to make sure we got all that in. Um, so... I think Dick Terra Phil, you reached out to Trent. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start the conversation then since you got into contact with him. Yeah, I, I was... Um, I was... Uh, I was uh, very intrigued uh, by Mr. Lepen- by Mr. Lipinski because he he has this really uh, solid tech knowledge, and I felt like if we're going to do this show, 
we needed somebody with a really good knowledge of what what's right. going on and like so and and i i i follow him i've you know i've i've paid close attention to him and uh it's it's a pleasure trent it's a pleasure having you on yeah um, thank you for coming on yeah so, yeah so from 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 your position and 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 i mean i i've I've read up all, all, like like a lot of what you said like with your know, your Twitter feed and stuff. What is your what what's your I don't want to say opinion or ab- about this whole thing? Cuz this whole thing Analysis. is like this this whole thing is nuts. Um yeah. <laughs> So what what for you? What what's a good uh, you know, how how do you I see mean, this whole thing? So for some context for the listeners like they need to understand that San Francisco and Silicon Valley is a bubble. Mm. Uh, a lot of people here, you know, they they went to colleges, like the college you're at. They moved to the Bay Area. They only really interact with the people they work with. They don't really interact with people outside that. So they've got a lot of political beliefs and opinions and ideologies. And unfortunately, they enforce those ideologies at work. Um, and they're the ones who are working for these tech companies. They're the ones who are making these decisions. And unfortunately, I mean, the only way I can describe it is a lot of these people are just brainwashed. Um, and they're brainwashed to the left, they're brainwashed to the right, whatever their ideology. Obviously, in Silicon Valley and San Francisco, it's mostly to the left. Um, and they just don't, I don't know, they don't value. American values. They don't value freedom of speech. They don't value liberty. Um, they don't understand that if they make a decision that cuts off monetization for an independent journalist, that they're destroying their entire livelihood. Uh, it's just, it, you know, they're they're behind the veil. They're they're, you know, a lot of these people are being paid a lot of money. They're comfortable. They work for a major tech company. They're disconnected from reality and what's happening in the rest of the world mm. because they don't have to be connected to it, and they're put into positions of power where you know what they say goes. And unfortunately, mm. that's what leads to a lot of these really unethical decisions. I mean, personally, mm. I view censorship and shutting down people's monetization and deplatforming as unethical. Um, you know, this is something we haven't seen since World War II and maybe the Cold War. Um, it's not normal and it's not good. Um, and we've seen where this road leads and it's just not very American. I totally agree. I'm, as I said earlier in the program, I'm the biggest free speech uh, advocate you'll ever meet and I can't stand any forms of censorship. But I, I, I've always kind of felt like you said that that Silicon Valley is a bubble. They're all in the same area. They're all very left wing. And I know this is a lot of left. I and I don't like to play the whole oh the right's like this, left likes this. But I know it's with the left mostly they tend to form these tighter knit bubbles. Usually it's because of the fact they live in cities. They're all sort of all in their little uh, sphere with all their lefty friends and they think everybody thinks like them. And if you don't believe me, just look at footage from November 9th, 2016. <laughs> they were all crying because they thought there's no way in the world Donald Trump could have won the election. It's impossible. It's gotta be fake news. It's gotta be Russians. And you know, as you explained, which is a very important thing that conservatives should be you know talking about more or just anybody that cares about you know just having a decent workplace that these beliefs 
go into the policies of the workplace. So what I'd like to ask you then is, from your experience or maybe experience of friends, what policies, what behavior, what culture uh, have you seen in the workplace that has been a result of these beliefs? Like, you know, maybe give some examples, I don't know, some rules or way people have been treated. Like, what, what have you seen? I mean, I try to stay out of it at this point because every time I get involved with a lot of these major tech companies, you know, I just, just kind of, I can't even explain to them the decisions they're making and the impact they're having because they just don't think them through. Yeah. Uh, they look at them from the lens of their ideology and their opinion and their identity, and that's it. They don't consider other people and that other people may have a differing opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, to be honest, I kind of try to avoid a lot of those situations. I mean, I've had a lot of instances where I just had to remove myself from the equation because I don't want to deal with it. Um, it's, it's really unprofessional how some of these people behave and yeah. it, it, it has a, a direct impact on me and my career. And I, I just, like I said, I just, leave the room because it's not even worth debating these people. Yeah. I've learned that too, that you're you're just simply not going to change most of these people's minds. It's really the people in the middle, the people on the fence, the people that really don't have have a strong stance or anything that are the most reasonable. You can maybe show show them that, hey, these uh, ideas that like gender is a social construct are, you know, not based in science or stuff like that. Like you can, you know, have that opinion, but um, it's totally just one sided now. Like, very one side. Yeah. Yeah. The, so, I, you know, being in San Francisco, I, I was born in Fresno, too. Like, and, and like, the, the way, like, when you think of the Bay, when, when you used to think of the Bay Area back in the day, you always thought of, you know, free spirit, free speech, very, you know, um, those kind of values. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, like, and, and really, this, the, this whole, this whole nutty stuff that these the 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 progressive liberals have been doing really kind of ki- I think it kicked off right when Trump got elected. Like, but imagine imagine hating someone so much that you're going to abandon the very foundation of what you believe in. Like, imagine hating someone so much that you're just willing to go 180 on everything that you're what you say you believe in what you stand for where do you say okay from a so for you from a text from from a tech perspective where do you see this thing maybe potentially ending up because i mean and i know it's it's hard because you know i mean yeah so i mean the technology has you know so there's two things that happen when the election happens we did not have the same kind of artificial intelligence that we have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, AI and machine learning has progressed significantly since 2016, and it's frightening now. The last three years have just been insane. Uh, the amount of technical innovation that we're seeing, uh, we haven't seen this kind of innovation this quickly in a very long time. So that was definitely a factor because the tools to censor and shadow ban and do all this were just coming into existence at the time that Trump got elected. Mm, mm-hmm. So Trump himself actually used Cambridge Analytica and artificial intelligence to help him win the election. So mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that. A lot of people don't talk about that. But the right is using 
and that allows them to change their algorithms to be able to censor people, shadow ban them. What Google and a lot of these tech companies do is instead of completely censoring someone and shutting them down, what they do is they dial them down slowly. Yeah, yeah. So instead of shutting them down completely, mm. they just go, all right, we're going to turn your, your dial from 10, we're going to turn it to 9, we're going to turn it to 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what they've been doing since January on YouTube to a lot of independent uh, producers and some of the people you've talked to earlier. Um, and that's, that's how they do it. They do the same thing with search results. Um, they do the same thing with, you, they do a yearly search change at Google, usually around, uh, you know, May-ish. Um, it depends. But when they do these things, they can literally eliminate anybody that they want. And they'll dial them down so slowly that you don't, if you're the creator or you're running the website or the news source or whatever, you're just watching your traffic go away slowly and you're not sure why. Uh, but it's all because of algorithm changes being made by Google. And they've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Um, I mean, it's really, truly anti-competitive behavior. And I think they should be investigated. Mm. Yeah, I've heard about this for a while, too, because I've heard, uh, I don't know if you know Scott Adams, he created the Dilbert cartoons, mm-hmm. and he's been what people would call pro-Trump, but he's really just analyzed Trump in a more interesting way that's actually more accurate than any mainstream media um, hack job. But he has been noticing Xiaoban on his followers, and even uh, Vice actually wrote a piece where they admitted and found people like, I believe the RNC chairwoman was being shadow banned. So I, I definitely see what you're talking about where it's like, yeah, they won't just ban him, but they'll just sort of make them irrelevant. They're, they'll be there and they can, and that's what they'll do. I think is they can then say, Oh, we're not banning people. They're, they're still there. Well, yep. Yeah. But nobody can see their stuff and they're not coming up in the recommended section on YouTube, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, uh, it's every major social media platform. I mean, pick anybody who's considered to be center right, and they're probably shadow banned if they've got a significant social media following on one of those platforms, if not all of them. Um, you know, I recently interviewed Laura Loomer. I mean, oh, yeah. people forget, she's only 25. Yeah, she's like, very young. Like a 25-year-old journalist who has broken real news stories. I mean, she changed the FBI timeline in the Las Vegas shooting investigation. Yeah. Um, you know, and she's been a, she's been deleted from every platform. Mm-hmm. She can't even have an Instagram or a Facebook account now. Yeah, she's only on Telegram. And that's where yeah. uh, I just... I've had the app for a long time, but I've... You know, because I had a few friends on there, but it's totally been changed you know recently now where i have milo gavin mcginnis nick monroe uh sargon of akkad laura loomer tommy robinson paul joseph watson and now roger stone because almost all those people have been either i mean they've all probably been shadow banned but milo and laura loomer just deleted off the internet alex jones has been deleted off the internet so the only way I, I, we can stay up to date as consumers with them is through Telegram now. But, of course, the question is, what do you do when they get rid of Telegram? What do you do when the leftist mob pushes these people to be banned off Telegram? Because Telegram will now be framed, and it's already starting to be framed as the platform of the, quote, alt-right. Even though none of these people I named are alt-right, none of these people like the alt-right, and the alt-right hates all these people. Yep. 
I mean, even if you Google my name, it'll autocorrect when you start to type my name in to all right. Oh. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, even Google has labeled me as all right. Yeah. Google. No one else has. Yeah. Just Google. Well, like, he, he, the fact that search engine can do that is wrong. You hear about I, Philip DeFranco? Yeah. Oh my God. He's not even. He's not even alt right at all. Like no. they're like you vote for Gary Johnson. They put <laughs> yeah, they put him in the like the, all that stuff. So the terrible. New York Times had a piece where they laid out all these people as being extremists that lead to the alt right. They had Gavin, Tommy, and uh, Milo, and then him, and it's ridiculous. And to go back to Scott Adams again, I remember he was uh, raising a bunch of. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, complaints at Google a few months ago because when you would Google Scott Adams, the first few pictures that would come up would show him in a Nazi uniform. Totally photoshopped, totally fake. He is not a Nazi. Uh, he is, you know, to the left of Bernie on many things and to the right on uh, conservatives on many things. He's really a, uh, you know, a very uh, independent thinker. But there are pictures of him in Nazi uniforms and he's scared because now... He's going to lose book deals. He's going to lose speaking uh, you know, uh, engagements. He's going to lose all kinds of th things he'd normally have because there are these fake pictures going around of him in a Nazi uniform. And you know, when you Google your name, you see alt-right. So who knows? Somebody might Photoshop you with a Nazi uniform. Now, don't, don't anybody get that idea. <laughs> but so I, I literally I wrote an article called Trent Lipinski Alt-Right so that the first thing you see when you search Trent Article I wrote about how I'm not involved. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what yeah. I had to do. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but you have to now. Uh, so, tr no, Telegram, yeah. Telegram is actually, and I was looking it up. It, this is like Russia. It was it was like developed by the same guy that created VK in Russia. A uh, Russian connection. Right. Well. Well. <laughs> Yeah, and then so he left. I think he left Russia because I think there was some sort of like Russian interference, like Russian government interference. So I think he moved to Europe of some something along those lines. But like, but another question I was going to ask: uh, How do do you ever see there being like a Silicon Valley outside of Silicon Valley? Because mm, maybe like, in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's going to have to happen is. We have to get better with our tech, and we have to decentralize. Um, there are tools, blockchain tools, for example, decentralized databases. Uh, there are ways to build networks where it's peer-to-peer. Um, I mean, we have BitTorrent. We've, we have you know, things like Kazaa, Napster. Uh, we've actually moved away from decentralized networks, mm -hmm. went to the centralized network. Now everyone's getting censored, and now we have to move back away from them and go decentralized again. That's the only hope. Do you, you know, I, I, I've, I forgot to, again, I keep regretting that I forgot to ask Sticks about this, but I asked uh, Sam about this, but, you know, there's a concept in marketing and the tech industry, I guess, too, of the network effect where, you know, if everybody's on one platform and all your friends are on that platform, it's hard to move to another platform. Uh, do you, like, for example, if I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all my friends are on there, but none of them are on Gab, I'm not going to do much on Gap because nobody that I care about is on there. Do you see that becoming an issue with alternatives where, you know, because of the network effect, we're going to have to do regulation of big tech? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a cycle. Um, you know, we've kind of had this ebb and flow of social networks that existed anyways. You know, there was MySpace before there was Facebook. Um, 
generation, and really what has to happen is the next generation, Gen Z, is going to have to say no to the big tech companies mm-hmm. and choose something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they don't, it's going to have to be the generation below them. Uh, and that's really how you create change is you get the younger generation to reject uh, the systems that the older generation is putting them in. Mm-hmm. And it's a 10, 15-year process to really, truly make some of those changes. It takes a long time. Um, so that's probably going to have to be what's going to have to happen is the younger generation is going to have to say no to using Facebook, no to using Snapchat, no to Twitter, and they're going to have to use alternatives that they own some of their data or their privacy or protections built into them um, mm. so that they don't lose their followers. I'm curious on privacy. I've always kind of debated this in my mind. Uh, do you think people care about privacy or do you think people just sort of have an illusion that they have privacy and that's where they're kind of like happy because ignorance is bliss, really? I mean, you have to keep in mind, depending upon someone's age, uh, you know, mm. they, if, you're, if you're 15 right now, you've never had privacy. You've never known what privacy was because your entire life you haven't had it. Yeah. Um, if you're 60, you remember why pre 9/11. You remember, you know, what it was like to go to the airport and walk right up to your gate. Like, you have a memory of what it was like to have privacy before there was all this security and paranoia. Um, so, I think the older generations definitely remember what privacy felt like, and they gave it up for convenience. And the younger generation has never known. And oh, that's the other thing to consider with some of these YouTube and Google employees. You know, they're in their 20s. Mm. They grew up in a world of authority and control. And right. now they finally have a little bit of power themselves, and they're just taking advantage of it. Uh, so I hope that the next generation realizes that privacy is important, uh, because it is. Uh, and ultimately, we live in a surveillance state. And yeah. I mean... It, it, that's the reality the world we're living in. This conversation, every conversation you have on the phone, all your texts, all those messages, all that stuff being recorded in the cloud, in a database somewhere. Mm. And we finally have the artificial intelligence to analyze it all in real time. Yeah. We're there now. Is there any other like little, um, you know, I guess you say insights in the tech world or things that people like us that are not as uh, into that sort of universe that, that, as you are, uh, the, the stuff that we don't know that you'd like to mention that you haven't yet, a little, you know, angles that we haven't seen or just, you know, things that the average Joe just doesn't even realize are happening to them? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, a lot of the people in Silicon Valley know exactly what they're doing. They've built these apps, they've built these social networks to be addicting. Uh, they use psychological manipulation tactics. These apps function much like slot machines. Um, you know, mm, the I've heard that before. The, you know, the beeps and the, the noises and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they literally designed these apps to be addicting. Uh, there's people whose job it is to work at a major tech company. Uh, they call it engagement. And, you know, the, their entire job is to increase engagement. Uh, they're you can actually, this is a career, like, you can work in the tech industry to make apps addicting for major tech companies. Mm. Uh, and they call it cute names, and they give them, you know, fluffy names to make it sound like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a good thing. We're increasing engagement. 
what you're doing is you're increasing addictiveness. Yeah. Um, and that's the reality of it. So I just caution people who aren't in the tech industry to understand that the people in the tech industry understand how psychology works. Mm-hmm. And they're building their app and they're building these networks to control you. I would say, you know, I've heard that theory before because I remember Alex Jones, who, you know, was a conspiracy theorist and all that. He would say stuff that, like, that, you know, Steve Jobs never let his kids play with an iPhone, iPads. He knew it was addicting. And I, I've i always wondered, is that true? Maybe, maybe. I mean, these things are addicting. And as you point out, it seems to be relative. It, it just, it seems just to be that way. And, you know, as an ad major graphic designer, one thing I look for is, you know, why things are designed certain ways. And one of the things that's consistent with any bit of software is that when you get a notification, it's always in those red little badges with a number on it. And, you know, of course, one is to catch your attention and it's good aesthetics. But number three or two, most importantly, is that it it just you have to click it every time you see one of those red badges. You just have to click that. You have to do it. And that's probably part of the engineering involved with it. That's addicting. It's social engineering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they've engineered us to do that. And I mean, one of the things you can do is turn those notifications off. Yeah. Uh, I do. I turn a lot of my notifications off. I put my phone on airplane mode and I run on Wi-Fi instead of LTE so they yeah. can't track me. Um, you know, there's there's little tricks and tools like that. Uh, you can install a VPN on your computer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can screw up the app trackers and... You can, there's different like extensions you can download to block a lot of the ads because you're not getting exposed to all the surveillance tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're still, they're still going to do everything they can to track you, to watch what you're doing, track your buying habits. Uh, and now they can use AI to actually do mm-hmm. predictive analysis mm-hmm. to predict what you're going to do next yeah. and then make sure that that is delivered to you. Yeah, I know. I literally just a year ago, just or year two years ago now at this point, uh, really realized how big AI is and how this is the biggest issue of our generation because it's a whole different beast. It's a whole nother level where you're having robots that are smarter than you, that can do things faster than you, quicker than you, better than you, smarter than you, stronger than you, whatever it is. I mean, obviously in like the, you know, physical form of a, uh, you know, a robot looks like you, it's going to freak you out. But people forget how AI is already in our phones. It's already in our computers. It's already on Facebook. It's already on Google. It's already on all these platforms. And as you're pointing out, it's basically manipulating you 24-7 and people don't seem to realize it. I mean, I had someone come up to me once that was a 17-year-old, and she asked me what the internet was like before algorithms, and it blew my mind because I grew up, you know, with with an internet that wasn't algorithm-driven. I had to go to websites, I had to go to forums, I had to go find stuff to do, and it was infinite. You could yeah. keep going and diving into all these rabbit holes, and you know, you could never not find what you were looking for but i feel like these days the internet has become so small all these apps they look and feel the same uh the same content recycled and regurgitated over and over again um it's it's kind of scary because you can't even find what you're looking for on google anymore yeah Uh, really it starts with the search results and that that's really where ultimately something has to happen someone has to create another search engine uh, or Google has to be broken up or something needs to happen because what's happened is with search, we're being fed nonsense. 
uh, we're not being given the actual answers that we're searching for, and we're given we're force-fed results that don't allow you to think critically, that don't allow you to analyze like mm-hmm. is this true or not, and mm-hmm. people just assume because Google fed it to them that it's real, yeah, and it's not. I know, because every time I see, like, those cards pop up on Google, you know, when you ask for definition or a fact about something, people I notice in, like, videos now, like, mainstream channels like, I, I, I don't want to use the name Vox, by seeing, you know, <laughs> Vox videos, not a reputable source, but Vox and you know, maybe, like, some other big names, they will, when they're showing a definition of something, they'll show a screenshot of the Google card, and I'm like... Uh, why is this all suddenly official? Like it's, I just think it's just silly that we're not, you know, we're taking these things so for granted. Um, we have to go to a break in a few minutes. Do you want to ask something? Or right. no, I just I think it's funny. I think it's funny how like, and, and I think some, I think some of these people are just like not. I think some of these people are just stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, I, I like no because it's like dare you. no because because y'all 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 have a chick. It's like hey, I don't want people. I don't want people. I want to keep my privacy. Hold on, I forgot my phone. Let me yeah. let me let me take my phone. Like oh you okay you're you're. No, natural selection needs to take its course. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm, so two. Okay, so section two thirty. So Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is the part where they uh, they have the tech companies uh, immune to litigate like litigation or you know mm-hmm. liability. Of content, yeah. Right, but but they ha- and, and it's like because the, the, that's the whole where the whole publisher v um, versus the platform. Right, yeah. that, that's where yes, it comes from. Yeah. Uh, that. It was created in 1996. Most of yep. our platforms weren't even out yet. Like, it. Do you think, like, like, do you like? Come on, are shouldn't we be updated? At least update that part of you know. Our- yeah, I mean, ultimately, we need a digital bill of rights. Yeah. Uh, our our laws are living. I mean, in the dark ages, they do not under the Senate and. Possibly even Trump and you know the current administration, they don't understand the power that the tech industry has. They don't understand the potential of AI. They don't understand yeah. where technology is actually at today. And I mean, I'm fearful for the future of the economy because ultimately, most jobs are going to go away in the next five to fifteen mm-hmm. years. Oh, are yeah. going to be replaced by artificial intelligence. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's already happening. Yeah, I remember a, a I forget his name because it's a confusing uh, Chinese name, but there was this uh, guy on 60 Minutes that was sort of at the forefront of AI and wrote a book about it. And he said to Scott Pelley, the interviewer, that in I think he said in 30 years or it was sometime in our lifetimes, uh, us college kids lifetime, that I think he said. 30 or 40 percent i have to check these numbers uh so don't take this for granted uh, listeners but uh fact check me please but it was around he said 30 to 40 percent of jobs would be displaceable uh by whatever time frame he said and i was like oh crap you know we are not prepared talking quite a bit about this um he's running for president actually he's pushing for universal basic income yeah um and i think it's by 2030 I think it's 20 to 30 percent of jobs are going to be automated. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I that's think what I was hearing too. To be honest with you, I think 
think I think Congress is just as clueless too. Like I, yeah, like I I remember watching. I remember watching. Uh, they had um, who the hell did they have? Um, they had uh, Mark Zuckerberg. They had. Um, Jack Dorsey, like in front of Congress, and they were all, mm. they were talking, and and they were they were speaking, they were answering the questions, and like, well, they were sort of answering the questions, but yeah. like, but like, you could tell that these con that the these members, some of these members of Congress, had no idea what was going on, and I'm like, mm. oh my god, what we're 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 gonna be harvested by robots in like 20 years, <laughs> like you know. Well, that's the problem. I mean, they've already harvested your Facebook profile. No, I'm talking about harvesting bodies. I'm talking harvesting <laughs> like war of, the, war of the world's harvest. Oh, boy. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and to, correct, uh, to correct my statement earlier, the guy, uh, his name was Kai-Fu Lee, and he said that in 15 years that AI will displace uh, about 40% of the jobs in the world. So big, scary stuff coming. Uh, and that shocked me, too, when he said that, but... Uh, to go into Phil's point a little bit, yeah, these people in Congress have no clue what anything about technology. They're totally dumb and out of touch. So my fear is that even though the government needs to get involved, it's going to be too slow and it might be too late uh, to get involved. Yeah. I mean, it could lead to a real culture war. I hope yeah. not a civil war. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, we are already in the middle of a culture war. Yep. And you've got... Silicon Valley flexing its muscle right now, and they're trying to shut down any voice that they disagree with before the 2020 election. Yeah, this is about censorship. This is about shutting down independent free thought and independent voices, and they don't want their platform to, you know, play any part in that. They want to literally take away the followers that people have built over the last decade uh, and prevent them from being able to reach an audience. So that they can't even share their ideas. Yeah, and you've heard people on the inside that would talk to Project Veritas and other sources. They would literally, and I think Breitbart too, and they literally say that the, it's consistent what you hear from these people. They'll say, yeah, these tech, big tech companies realize Trump used their tools to win 2016, and they want it to not happen again because yep. they saw what happened he basically won because parts mostly i'd say partially because of the internet um but last question i'll ask you is how much of this censorship how much of the banning and all these algorithms and any sort of like you know uh, silencing of these voices uh how much of it do you think is political and how much of it is just for money it's just about you know being advertiser friendly um Honestly, everything they're doing right now is really bad for their bottom line and their revenue because they're basically telling half the country uh, you can't use our platforms, and that's bad for business. Mm -hmm. So the problem is these companies have so much money, billions, almost unlimited money compared to any other industry. And so they are willing to sacrifice revenue and profit for ideology and censorship. So that's what we're seeing right now. They've prioritized censorship above revenue and profit. If YouTube, for example, was an independent company and all they did was being a video platform and nothing else, and they weren't owned by a giant advertising company, mm -hmm. uh, then they would not be censoring users. They would not be getting rid of their creators. They would not be shutting people down. 
they would be doing the exact opposite because that's good for business. Uh, so, unfortunately, I believe that what these tech companies are doing is because they have unlimited funds, they can then use that. They can lose money. I mean, YouTube has lost billions of dollars. Uh, Google stock is free-falling. Like, a lot of the major tech companies have lost billions of tens of billions of dollars in value in the last week uh, over the antitrust you know, investigations that are potentially going to take place. Mm-hmm. So these companies are losing money because of these decisions. They're losing creators. They're losing the trust of the community. They are not going to benefit from this in any shape or form from a financial standpoint. So the advertisers have already, they're looking at this chaos and they're going, man, I don't want to touch this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's bad for YouTube. It's bad for Google. They're going to lose money and it's bad for the creators because they're losing money. So right. all this is happening right now, this is all ideology. This is all politics. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty depressing right now, but hopefully <laughs> things do get better. And um, I think we like, have to break them up. Yeah. Well, here's the question. Actually, I actually have one more question. How do you break up these companies? Because since they are on the internet and they have servers or you know whatever it is, like it's not like a bank where they have you know little bank branches everywhere where all this stuff is kind of I guess in one location. How do you break up, let's say, Google? So Google, for example, they have multiple products, and they have multiple product lines, but they only really make money from one of them, and that's advertising. Right. They're an advertising company. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take the advertising division of Google and break it out from their cloud computing, and you made YouTube its own company that was only a video platform, and you were to take a lot of these products and separate them into separate companies and then force them to compete, then you would have more of a free market again. So ultimately, you'd have to break out the certain the areas that are generating revenue from the other things that are losing money that are then riding on the backbone of these other things. So like Amazon, for example, they make most of their money from cloud compute. Yes. They actually yes. sell products for a loss. AWS so is big. you buy something on Amazon, mm-hmm. Amazon's not necessarily making a profit off that. And then that's what destroys small businesses because small businesses can't offer items at those prices, but Amazon's willing to take the loss because they're making billions of dollars, you know, inking CIA contracts for half a billion yep. dollars yep. to be their cloud computing provider. Because mm-hmm. most of the money that Amazon pulls in is from cloud computing and has nothing to do with any of them, any other product or service. You nailed it right there. I, I've, I only found out about the Amazon um, AWS mostly through you, Phil. Um, but I heard about it before, but you really sort of like made me look into this more. And it's just, it is amazing how many companies run on that thing. Uh-huh. It's, yep. if Jeff Bezos did, whoever did it, thought the idea was smart, you know, <laughs> thinking. And they set up so many, and they set up so many uh, data centers and availability zones. And like, yeah. it's like all over the world too. It's like, wow, there's no way, like there's no way that Google or even Microsoft is going to be able to catch up. Like they can, they, they might inch close, but they'll never take a, like, like they're too, they're too far ahead. There's too much capital in what Amazon is doing. Like, they own 70, 80% of the market. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Like it's, it's, it's real. It's real. The, uh, yeah. I, I had, um, I had, I had, an, I had another question. 
I guess I guess this might be this the last will be one. the okay. final final yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I enjoy this conversation. Oh yeah, this you are great. very interesting. Yeah. Um. So, what do you uh, what do you think? Um, are do you think we're Silicon Valley is going to be so wrapped up in this like this AI, like this, this trying to manipulate like social engineering and all this stuff. Do you think it's possible that they could be so caught up in this that they end up losing out to maybe foreign markets? Cause like, cause you, cause you know, there's still like foreign markets are still developing like in China in Korea and Russia and all the, like they're developed, they're still developing. They're not going to stop. Like, so unfortunately this is kind of, but uh, you got to look at who owns these tech companies, yep. and they are owned by foreign investors. Um, the Chinese, the Saudis, uh, I mean, a Saudi prince owns more of Twitter than Jack Dorsey. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, the foreign market has already invested heavily in the tech industry. They're already influencing Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and that's also why a lot of decisions are being made. Um, so, they bought influence into these tech companies and they own a piece of them. Um, so that's why you see different things with different religions and, you know, certain things on, happen on Twitter and some of their terms of service and policies. They're being influenced by the people who have invested in their company, and a lot of it is foreign money. Mm. Uh, if you were to get rid of all the foreign money from the tech industry, it would possibly collapse. Wow. Mm. Well, <laughs> uh, that's... I, that is like literally probably one of the most fascinating interviews I've ever done. This See, show. This, this is this is why I wanted him Thank on you, here. Phil. Thank this you, This is why Phil. I wanted Thank him you, on Phil. here. He's like he's like <laughs> worldly you, intelligent. And yeah. I was like, it, the, the, we needed something like this. Like yes. we, we we're going to talk about Vada, uh, the Vox Adpocalypse. Like mm. you needed a tech perspective to be able to kind of yeah, you need you a tech know, expert explain it all. Like so, uh, thank you, thank you so much, thank Trent, for coming you so on much. here. Right? Uh, this yeah, is- no problem, guys. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, we're working uh, just so people don't forget. Where can they find you online? At Trent Lipinski on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, Medium, uh, at TrentLipinski.com, and then my new podcast is techpost.io awesome awesome stuff thank you for coming on again um i i you know i may ask you to come on again i i hope you're down for it but i just love that conversation we had yep let me know man awesome i loved having you on thank you so much thanks have a good one all right take care guys you too bye-bye oh man that was heck of an interview trent was great i'm so happy we were able to have him on alex are you there yep I am so sorry, so sorry, so sorry that Discord didn't work for the one time. The one time. I mean, it was like, okay, there were so many things that went wrong today. First, my eye was screwed up, and I had to run to the um, urgent uh, care uh, off campus a ways to fix that in time for the show. And then when we got here, the studio uh, we was locked. We were locked out of the studio. We had the, I called our president who had to call somebody that just happened to be coming in today. 
um, to uh, try to open it, and he couldn't swipe in, so he had to call the staff, but the staff was not on duty there at the hub info desk. So then he had to call a number that called a jander who then got here and opened the door. <laughs> and, and then when we got in, the Mac Mini wasn't working. So I looked at a sheet here that was uh, laid out, and it said the Mac Mini... Uh, will not be uh, working this week. And uh, what day did it start on? Did it start tomorrow? Monday? No, it started today. And so we couldn't use Discord to have good quality. So, yeah, there was that. Oh, and the second phone line wouldn't work. So we can only do one phone line at a time. But I, I'll, I'll end rant on that. But So what was your uh, take on all the interviews, Alex? What did you think of it? What was your two cents? Oh, no, I thought it was great. Like, I, um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed Was that last thing you said kind of trailed off? Yeah, like they need to fix their phone. Well, I heard, I heard they need to fix the phone line. That was a, and then, that, yeah, that, that, I definitely agree with that one. Yeah, as your voice started oh, yeah, to disappear. Like, oh. Yeah, I know. I, I, we had to deal with what we had, but once we get the Mac Mini back up, for whatever reason, it's down. Once that's back up and we can get all our guests on Discord, mm, it's going to sound fabulous. Oh, yeah, I thought it was like, some really good discussion. Like, I enjoyed uh, like, some of the stuff with uh, the tech guy. I mean, I work kind of in technology. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I like yeah, yeah Trent's inner um, insight was pleasantly surprising. Like, I thought all those guys, you know, because on your Twitter, on his Twitter bio, you just see, you know, like hacker, uh, technologist. I'm like, oh, he sounds like a cool guy. Uh, you know, you have some maybe some interesting stuff to say. I mean, I, I just didn't know what to expect. I'd never heard of the guy before. He was hiding a lot of information about himself. He's like, oh, I work for a whole bunch of companies, startup yeah. companies, I was a CEO. Yeah. I'm like, geez, you know a lot more than you're letting on. Like, yeah. they just said, like, geez, got all that information in your back pocket. Yeah. You guys got some uh, big shoes to fill though for the regular school year. Yeah, so, I know. In the middle of the summer. Yeah, this one I've had state yeah, I know. But this is all thanks to Dictator Phil. He's the one who reached out to these yeah. people initially and told I'm me hoping, about I'm I'm hoping that this gets the snowball effect going. Like like you know, like we get a couple we 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 get we get these uh really awesome guests on on our show and then we just keep it going cuz yeah. there's so much. In a given week there's so much to talk about. Two, um like it's just more fun. Like like these shows are, are more fun when more people are talking yes, yes. and we get more opinions on here. Even opinions that we may not agree with all of the course, time. Of course. It's still uh, good to collect the insight and then just, just just banter. Just banter together, you know? And um hopefully and hopefully by the time that like the fall semester come kicks yeah. off, 
we it'll it'll start getting like way better oh yeah and and you know alex we're gonna have definitely trent on again because he was awesome and he definitely was excited to come on again and we could probably get six back on again even though he's a big name youtuber he more than willing to come on this time so we'll definitely try to get these guys back on and sam too uh you know so you can obviously chime in more when we have a tech related story especially a youtube related story because I feel bad that you got to miss out on that, but I tried to ask your questions the best I could. <laughs> um, I did a good job. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't your fault. Like, it's, this wasn't the first time you've had technical difficulties with the radio station. Yeah, it was just a crazy set of like, you know, when I was ranting earlier, I was more just ranting on how crazy the circumstances were of what every like series, it was like a total series of unfortunate events of every, like a series of unfortunate Murphy's Law events, like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I'm like, what's going on? But, you know, we got in here and we, we still put the show we on. We made our lemonade. We, we made our lemonade. That's uh, all I wasn't going to let anything stop me. I was like, no, we are getting into the studio. We're recording this. We are getting sticks on. We're getting Sam on. And we're getting Trent on. Uh, any final thoughts before we close out on this uh, very special edition of Real News? Uh, no. Uh, just like uh, I try to get more big name people in here because I thought that was awesome. I mean, like the stuff that we usually do is awesome too, but like, you know, just being able to go and interview some of these people that, you know, other people might not really have the opportunity to. And I know there's a lot of even, like, you know, big-name YouTubers who will go on to, like, smaller people's shows. Like, um, I don't know if you know Mr. Medicare, but he does stuff like that, too. Like, he'll jump on the streams with, like, you know, 20, like, a channel that has, like, 20 people subscribe to it. Yeah. I, I really appreciate, like, people, like... 300 and uh what was it 70,000 subscribers uh six hex and hammer coming on because that's just he didn't have to do that but he did anyway and i really appreciate it and, and he retweeted one of our tweets it's just very nice of him and i very nice of all of our guests for coming on i really appreciate it it's, you know, it's i don't want to you know go all high mind like oh it's such an honor to have you on but like it really does feel special being able to talk to these people because they these youtubers have a way more authentic down-to-earth sort of connection and when we people. talk and more like when we when we talk about these events they have their finger on the pulse with a lot of what's going on a lot more than we do like look look we talk about stuff and we do our homework and we try to have ourselves as um like as educated of a conversation as we possibly have with a little bit of fun of course you oh know? of course you know but they these these are people that really have their finger on the pulse of what's going on like vada vod uh vox uh, adpocalypse right we have youtubers right the, the, these these are people that you know they have podcasts they're on youtube like these are people that are really in the crosshairs and like mm -hmm. and it's and it's so rich to have these these individuals give their two cents and give their opinions and like well what what do you, what's going on what what can we do what can we do anything can we like it's it's, it's so rich um I'm, I'm looking for i i hope we can keep doing this this is Absolutely. what this is what this is I, what it's all about right here this right here is what it's all about and I, um yeah, this uh, looking forward. I'm looking forward Me to too. to more more events like this. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. I I have loved every second I've spent in this um, 
studio. Oh, other than a few seconds of oopsie, but <laughs> all the other times I have, you know, just loved it. And it's just a joy coming on every week with my friends and people I don't know that call in and talk to us or, you know, people I look up to that call in. It's just great. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more real news.